Project Management Insights, providing project managers with professional development in the interpersonal skills areas of leadership, team building and communication. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Project Management Insights and I'm very lucky again to have another expert with me to talk about today's topic which is all about politics or corporate politics in our IT environment. So today I'm welcoming George Freeman and George is a seasoned IT project manager and leader who's worked in the software industry for nearly four decades including over 25 years of those in project management. He has significant subject matter expertise in solution and enterprise-based architectures and is an advocate for business and technical architectural awareness amongst project team members. So welcome, George, and thank you so much for joining me today for this episode. Well, thank you, Karen. Thank you for inviting me. And today we're going to talk about politics. Oh, my favorite subject. uh, Yeah, I was going to say something I love too. (laughs) Something that can create so much havoc for our project teams. So let's start out by you talking to me about the project manager's role in corporate politics. Well, in general, the project culture or the, the philosophical view kind of views corporate politics as the dark side <laughs> yeah. of project management and, and we should avoid it at all cost. Um, in fact, we normally tell uh, new project managers that when corporate politics rears its head, that they should simply focus on their objectives and navigate around the landmines, right? After all, it's not their job to engage in items of a political nature. Um, I kind of disagree with um, that. It's good pragmatic advice. It does make sense, but it could leave a project manager hanging. You know, you have a political storm that is about, and if you do not engage it, normally what happens is your project slows down to a snail's pace and maybe even um, to a complete stop. And that could be a day, that could be weeks, could be months. And then you could get into the realm of a political uh, reset of your project. So it's really important to understand the role that um, my, what I believe a project manager should have. And it's based upon the idea that Uh, Corporate politics and project management have a shared genesis. Um, They are both in the business of implementing change. Now, on the corporate politics side, we say that the politic is good if it's for the benefit of the overall enterprise, right, and gives value to it. And then the politic is a bad politic when it's for the benefit of a single Uh, executive or a group without regard to the enterprise. So those are, is there a good politic? There's a bad politic. Um, In fact, I, I personally believe that the project manager is essentially a political device. Um, We are purposed to further the objectives of executive management. And then they give us a mandate. We create the project charter and the charter If you think about it, it is itself also a political instrument, right? It empowers you, it empowers the team to accomplish something that they would not have been able to do 
otherwise. So to state it kind of bottom line, um, the project manager is essentially and intrinsically part of the corporate politic of an organization. That is our goal. And not everybody likes me saying this, but um, we wouldn't have our job if it wasn't for corporate politics because it's all about change. And without change, we would not be engaged. Yeah, that's a great way of talking about it. And, and I mean, I've worked in so many large organizations where there has just been that one executive or the one group within the, the you know, broader, larger context that just totally disagrees with anything and everything going on because they're so anti-change. And that's basically a lot of what the issue is. They just, they don't want change. That's, that's the whole premise of it, really. And, and that's where the politics gets uh, instigated or initiated because they're trying to push back on something that they're not comfortable with or, or not happy with themselves. So no, that's, that's absolutely true. And uh, it comes down to the fear absolutely. of change. Yep. And that's where you get into some of the things we're going to be talking about, the spies, the knowledge yeah. rationing, you know, all those type of things happens because of fear of change and what it does to individuals. And then there are multiple levels. They have one uh, way of pr making everybody think they're on board. And then they actually at a lower level, there's a completely different uh, flow of information that is occurring. Yeah. So let's talk about this knowledge rationing because it's, it's huge and becomes a big, big problem for us in our role as a project manager. So, so tell us more about it and, and how it comes about. Well, again, because of the fear, right? They, when you go to, uh, if you're the PM and you have your analyst, go engage a subject matter expert to learn the end-to-end -end view of their area, right? Yeah. You, the person interviewing that SHMI is going to be asking, I want to understand everything, right? But what they're going to get, every single word is going to come back at a 30,000-foot level. There's going to be um, dancing around every question that you, that you ask. And information, you, know, you may get so frustrated, you take all the information, you go back, you put it together, and you realize it has no end-to-end -end view to it. Yep. You can't make sense out of it. And you go back to them, and then they'll give you an incremental piece of information. And they won't go any further. And this pattern goes on. And eventually the project manager gets the, the output of that process. And you look at it. And again, you know it's knowledge rationing because you cannot get the end-to-end -end systems engineering view out of that knowledge. So can I just stop you there a moment? I have a, a, a perfect example of where that created so much of a problem for my project that I had to go and have a big argument and discussions with my two project, the, the two executives that were sponsoring the project and ask them to shut it down. We tried to get business, the, the well, it was process mapping done of, of the processes mm -hmm. to understand what might need to change, 12 iterations. And every time we went back and asked, you know, those questions of this doesn't seem right or somebody would give us one view of it and then the next person would have a totally different view of it. 
12 different times and we still could not lock down what that view looked like to even get a base to start with. And, and, and I, my team was so frustrated. They couldn't do their work. They couldn't do their job. And so I went and, and got them and my two senior execs in the room and they, and they weren't happy because they wanted this change to come about and we could not get a baseline to even start the project. So I'm guessing, George, this is like, this is what you're talking about. This is a, this is a good example of knowledge rationing. So what did you do? How did you re-engage to get the information? No, we didn't. We stopped the project. I, I really? basically got agreement at that point to stop the project because we were wasting time, effort. I had such a frustrated team that, that, that they would, you know, they were just, there was so much frustration. There was frustration from the business side, well, stonewalling from the business side and so much frustration in my team that I said, we just, we can't do the project. We cannot undertake, we as a team <laughs> cannot undertake the project. It has to stop and it stopped. And did you reset it and bring it back up? No, no. They decided that it wasn't going to happen. What they basically did was allowed the team leader that was creating most of the problems to go ahead and do things her way without it being run as a project. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> no, that's not good. And yet very political situation, right? Yes, it is. Well, some of the solutions, I mean, the very ob most obvious thing to do if you have someone who's knowledge rationing is to go to their manager, right? But 90% of the time, they are working under the umbrella of their manager. Their manager fully understands and is in sync with them. So they're going to be a knowledge rationer as well, yeah. normally. Uh, I've had very few cases where going to the manager actually has helped. Now, what has helped is creating an accountability uh, structure of some type. So one of the things that I recommend is that uh, uh, you play to that person's ego and the manager's ego and said, you know what, you have a lot of great knowledge um, to offer. You know what, we're going to have a workshop and all, all the different executives are going to be there, the project team. And I need you to put together a stack, a PowerPoint stack and give us and present your knowledge and allow an opportunity to be challenged because this information is fantastic. I really want it to be shared. And what that does is it makes them realize they cannot do this in an environment where they're gonna be held immediately accountable. They will be torn apart if they do. And they will struggle through it. They may take a while to get it together, but if you have executive backing, um, that person or that group is going to have to fall in line, at least for that one ask, right? Yeah. Now, the next ask you go to them <laughs> may be a whole nother story, but yeah. creating an environment where there is a challenge-based room where people can speak up and challenge it, and that's the whole purpose. Yeah. You've got a, a project manager up there on the whiteboard drawing, and you're laying everything out, and you're confirming with that person who's you know, standing at the pedestal, right? Going, yeah. look at me. Yeah. They're going to want to show how much they know, right? So that has helped me in many, in many cases. Yeah, I was th just, I'm putting that in the, in the place of that with the, the, this 
knowledge holder team leader in this context of the project that I ran and that might have worked really really well to 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 actually have done that and wasn't something I thought about at the time because I think I was just as frustrated by that point as the rest of my team and so like we were in an emotional space that didn't allow me to think outside the box of what might have worked yeah one of my philosophies in my intro the intro that you gave um, you know I I talk about architectural awareness Mm -hmm. and that's a philosophy of domain knowledge that I have and it's also at the 30,000 foot knowledge you know being able to uh, understand interpret and communicate with domain knowledge, right? right? If you're a project manager and you're engaging a financial domain, right? And you can't speak the lingo. Yep. You're going to be a slave. Yeah. They're going to be talking, speaking jargon that uh, you can't challenge, right? Yep. And you can't, you have to sit back. And that creates an environment where knowledge rationing will be rampant. Absolutely. But if you have a project manager or you have SMEs on your team who can speak and understand the architectural, business architecture, IT architecture, not low level, not the traditional architect, but the high level, then you can have a challenge-based environment. And almost every problem in project management, in my mind, can be solved when people get together and they challenge each other. But that requires everybody to speak the same language. So that's why I teach the idea that architectural awareness is not just for the PM, but for the entire team, anybody who's interacting on the project. Because if you can understand and speak the same language, then nothing is a hurdle. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And then that's where I've sat. I've sat as that person that's become the knowledge holder because I've asked questions. You know, I will ask my IT architects. I will talk to the finance team. I will talk to the security team. I want to know. I want to find out information. And then it means that they can't put something over me either because I then become that I have enough knowledge to be dangerous is what I say <laughs> usually, right? Because it's like, don't try putting something over me, guys, because I'm going to question you, challenge you in a good way and go and validate what you're telling me. There was something that happened on a project where I had a, a knowledge holder tell me something and I went back to my IT architect because it just didn't feel right for me, just a gut instinct. And I went back to my IT architect and said, Joe's said, we have to do it this way. And I said, and it doesn't feel right. And he went too right. It's not right. It's not the only way, you know? So even within the team, I think there's that political issue and the, the knowledge uh, rationing comes true in its right. own way when a person believes that they have power because they hold the knowledge. Right. I call it productive arguing. It, oh, that's what nice. challenge is yeah. that challenge based environment, but culturally, right? If you're working with the Japanese culture, a European culture, um, you got to be very careful how you approach it. If I say the word challenge in the wrong environment, they literally think I'm ready to give them (laughs) another cut under the chin, right? And they're going, what are you talking about? But it's important, I believe, that as a project manager in the very beginning, you speak to this idea of a challenge-based environment at all phases at all steps during the project. 
and that you expect your team to do the same. So when they have a problem, you say, open it up for challenge. And literally the four or five people that would be there, let's say, they say, okay, here's my idea. Now challenge it. And you go iteratively until you flush that out. But it's productive arguing. But if you don't create a safe environment, Hmm. right, people are not going to want to contribute and be part of that. Because voices can get raised. And that's, that's not necessarily bad. No. Um, the energy that can go into it, the more energy, the more creative juices that get going and you get resolutions. But someone who doesn't feel safe and feel that they will be stepped on yeah. um, will not contribute. So the PM needs to create that safe environment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big thing to be able to do. So we, we um, part of what we're talking about in this politics space is these ulterior motives and you talk about spies. Tell me about these spies. Who are these spies <laughs> and, and what's their role? Well, spies are not necessarily a bad thing, as you know, we'll find out here. Mm-hmm. But it's all about, of course, the politic of the organization and change occurring to particular executives, usually, that they are not comfortable with. And they feel that they need to have eyes and ears on the project because they know that the person who gave the mandate, maybe it's the president, is not necessarily in agreement with them. And this may be an overthrow, right? right? This may be a way to get in and make things happen that the executive wasn't able to do through other means. Right. Um, Because again, we're part of that political apparatus and we're being used to implement um, change. Now, you usually know your spies because by the time you create your resource plan, you got everything all taken care of and you present it to the PMO or to your sponsor. And you think, oh, I got the budget here. Everything's all taken care of. And then all of a sudden, there's another name on the list. And you say, I don't have the budget for that. And they go, don't worry. There's no additional cost for this. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you get an additional resource free of charge at the last minute. And right. that is your likely spy. Right. I've also had spies where um, uh, they were a little more obvious where uh, I have an international project. Right. And I'll send one of my techies over there to Europe and they'll send me one of their techies. It's an agreed upon spy. Right. You know, that's another variation. Right. The spies you got to worry about are the ones that are not uh, pre-negotiated. Yeah. The truth in those situations is they don't trust me, yes. unfortunately. Yep. They don't know me and yep. I don't know them. Right. So we will go ahead and just say, let's not do the hidden spy. Let's do a public spy. And uh, it's just a fun way to look at it. But the reality is, is that there is an issue of trust. Now, go, yeah, go, go on. Ahead. Yeah, go on. Go on. So you have to identify your spies first, right? And again, yep. that identity is usually because they were given to you um, right at the end and usually have no impact to your budget. And I have this philosophy that don't be as scared of your spy. You need to appreciate your spy. Um, be thankful. This is one way to be thankful. Your stakeholder has enough interest in your project 
that they're willing to invest usually one of their best resources mm -hmm. and give them to you. So that's a good thing. It also tells you that person actually has something of value to give. So yes, they're going to be reporting information behind the scenes, which is a plus for you, right? Yeah. And um, so give them and projects and, and opportunities that empower them bring them in close to you right don't keep them at the far end of your project because i don't want them getting involved i don't want them knowing too much no bring them in close right yeah. Yeah. make them part of the team make them feel valuable and that gives you opportunity to get to know them mm -hmm. right or your leads get to know them and the opportunity is this when politics do occur of other natures and you hit roadblocks and you've communicated to your PMO and to your sponsor and things are just not moving the way they need to. Yeah. Guess what? Your spy, if you feed the information to them, can back channel information because that's why they're there. Yeah. That may help and assist. Now, is that playing games? You could say so, but it's a practical thing. If your channels are not um, open, they're yeah. politically tied up, then use your back channels. And basically, um, I have another philosophy called project plumbing, which is along that same lines. You literally lay out plumbing in your project ahead of time. Why? Because you got to be able to, if needed, shut off different valves of information or get help when you need it, right? At a political right. level. And that's project plumbing. But the spies, they're not all bad. You have the opportunity to uh, bring them in, make them valuable for your project, and also to be able to communicate back channel information. So that that's kind of a fun theory and it, I've used it in the past and it has worked. Yeah, and I, and I have too. And I the word that comes to mind there is an ally. By, by giving them knowledge and information and gathering if when they become that in that space of trusting you more, because as we said, you said initially, the trust isn't there initially. If you build the trust with that knowledge holder, the information holder, the resource, whatever it is, but that's the spy, then they're more likely to take that back to their senior manager, the executive that initially has the problem and had the fear. And I found then that that senior manager or senior executive has then become an ally because they true. might have uh, tentacles into different places within the organization to create what I need for my project, whereas my sponsor might not have been able to in other circumstances. Exactly. And that's why you need to bring your spies in close yep. and give them, res give them responsibility on the project so yep. that they literally feel accountable. And then they got to use their, their channel to the other executive yep. for their benefit as well. Yes. Because they don't, guess what? No matter what, they don't want to fail. They don't want to fail to the back channel and they don't want to fail to you because yep. they lose on either one. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so plumbing. Okay. So tell me about this plumbing. Cause I've got my own in my mind idea of what you're talking about. And I want to see whether it's matching where my, where my head is. <laughs> so basically it's stakeholder management, right? Yep. And um, I've written 
all of these different subjects I've done articles and different snippets on. But basically, in order to be able to leverage project plumbing, you have to do it and lay out the structure of your pipes before the project begins. Okay, you can do it in initiation and planning, but you want it done before the execution phase. Right. And basically you're laying out um, an influence diagram. So you, you have all your executives, all your uh, subject matter experts, everybody in the company that has um, a part in your project and you're laying out what is the influence person A has with person B and person D has with person B. And you end up with this drawing and you literally, uh, it takes a while and you have to interview people and you gotta keep it a little bit quiet. But basically this influence diagram is a map so that when things do occur, mm -hmm. you know who influences the problem child. Right. Right. Yep. And one of my theories that I like to have is that you need essentially trump cards. Okay. You got to yep. have these um, influencers also who are outside the project. So if all of the people that you have in your influence diagram is only those within, you're not going to get much done. Leverage, okay? When yep, there's a political yep. problem, everybody's being impacted and everybody's going to have their lips tied up. Yep. But if you know, for instance, let's say you're doing an administrative project, project and they support sales and marketing, let's say. Sales and marketing has nothing to do with your project. You're just doing an administrative um, software package or some type of uh, re-engineering of a business process. Well, guess what? Sales and marketing has influence over that administrative group. They're not on your project. So what you do beforehand is you go to or you, you ask a proxy, someone who knows them, to go to that sales and marketing executive and say, hey, if I have a problem on this project, even though it doesn't immediately impact your area, yeah. would you be willing to help me? Yep. And guess what? Executives love politics. <laughs> okay? They're going to go, yes, I would love to be there and help you out if you yeah. need be. You know? yep. yeah. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that or you don't have the ability you reach out to someone who does have the ability and you build these relationships beforehand and that's your plumbing. You're laying out the pipes. And then when something happens on uh, your project and sewer is flowing through the pipe down <laughs> into your project room, right? Yeah. What is your, what do you want to do? You want to cut off the flow of that, of that tox toxic sewer. So you engage that sales and marketing executive. Mm -hmm. He does a little talk, a little play, a little bargaining. And he feels great about it because it makes him look good everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. And um, you can cut off the flow of that toxic waste into your project room. So it's a metaphor, but the diagram is very real. So you're literally drawing this out. And one technique I use is um, you put people in red <laughs> who are those who are likely to have subterfuge. Those uh, individuals yep. who you already know have a current that uh, isn't necessarily for the well-being of the overall enterprise, a little more protective to, to their department. Yep. And um, 
especially on longer term projects, this diagram is a map that you can constantly reference. And as I've shown this to people in, in my articles and they all say, make sure you hide it in your desk. Don't let anybody <laughs> see it. Yeah, that's true. So, so that's a mix for me of uh, my racy diagram that I would do at the start, which has my stakeholders listed out. And, and that for me is always those, it includes those people outside the project direct project team because it always is but uh, the other thing that that i i love to tie in here is my informal networks because they sometimes are powerful influences in this space when the politics gets flowing and we don't often think about the power of the informal network within the organization because we're so used to the formal structure and yet oftentimes the those informal the informal networks have just as much power in a way especially when we're dealing with the blockers or the the people with a hidden agenda um, and I'm talking now perhaps not at the senior level of, of the organization but within the broader context it could be an SME that's got a hidden the hidden agenda that mm-hmm. that creates the knowledge rationing in the space for us. Like it, it, it's still a part of their broader project context and yet they're not, they're not part of our formal project team. Uh, and yet these, these, are, these are people that perhaps there's informal influences over that can help me, you know, if I'm having problems. Well, Karen, I'm starting to see you as a political operative. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I would never, ever, ever call myself that, George. Never. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I've learned that. I mean, and I mean, I had never thought about it as being political, and yet you are, and you have to be in your role as a project manager because it's part and parcel of the the context of, as we said, creating change. Right, and and you don't need to be political. You need to be politically aware. Yes. And. If you need to move the chess piece a little bit because the normal channels are not working. Yep. Because remember I said, I think I mentioned, um, uh, it's the job of the of your project sponsor to create a covering over your project, right? Right. So that you can operate really without con- too much concern to what's going on. They literally yep. have an umbrella around you. But holes start to get poked in. Yeah. that tent, that umbrella. Yeah. And, uh, or you may not even have a covering, right? And then you're just wide open to anything that can occur. Oh, yeah. So part of stakeholder management is to get your sponsor to understand what their job is. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people would say that the project manager's primary job is managing stakeholders. Okay. Yep. It depends on your environment and your industry, but it is a true statement. So to convince your uh, sponsor that they need to create that covering is a defensive measure that you can do ahead of time, no differently than project plumbing. Yeah. And that is a very important uh, element. Awesome. I love it. I love the sound of it. So if we get into this space where there's so much politics going on, on the outside or, and it's leaking into our project, what happens? I, I know you talked to me the other day about project induced trauma, but you know, like- <laughs> that's the, well, if you are not prepared, 
right? Right. That's the not being prepared space. Okay. Uh, yes. That is the place I call the pit. Yep. Okay. When you've, when you've been beat up um, politically and you're, right. and it's happened for a considerable period of time, the pit is your, your home, right? right. You're in this project induced trauma and you need, um, <laughs> you need some self help. Um, Cause you're literally sitting on the couch talking to yourself all the time. What's going on here? And I was in the, I've been in the pit and that's where, you know, I've been in the industry a long time. I realized I'm the one who needs to change. I'm the one who needs to change my way of thinking about corporate politics. I'm the one who needs to adjust. Right. I can't control those other factors. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get into mindfulness yeah as a practice yep. and radically accepting of of things and it's important otherwise you know i i've had medical issues from from stress and i'm very aware of it and um, whether it be home or whether it be at work or combination normally right yeah yeah because when you're a project manager on a difficult project guess where you're at all the time <laughs> at work in your at head work. anyway in your head right. anyway yeah all the time yeah so um Project-induced trauma is a real thing. I call it, uh, it's almost like, it's a condition, yeah. right, for a project yeah. manager. And it's, yeah. You know, I do a lot of metaphors, and uh, I really am in the business of getting people to look at things just a little bit different. And I know you said you do the same thing. Absolutely. And that's what most of my writing is about, because if you look at it just from a different perspective, you might realize something. And that's where I realized, you know what? Corporate politics is not my enemy. It's my friend. I'm part of it. Right. right? And that attitude changed me. And it, uh, it changed the aspects of how much stress I allow into my life related to the normal going ons of a project. Yeah. I'm not closing my eyes. I'm not covering my ears. I'm aware. And I'm hopefully very prepared. Well, yeah, and isn't that awareness, that space of the things that I have control over and the things that I don't have control over? Absolutely. And I think at times we forget that there are things that we don't have control over because ultimately, you know, in our mind, we're telling ourselves, I'm responsible, I'm responsible, I've got to deliver this, and therefore, I've got to be in control of all of it. Well, no, hang on a minute. There are things that you can't control especially in large organizations. And it's, it's about that ability to step back and say, well, is this something in my control? Yes. Is this something in my control? No. Okay. Who can I go to that has control of that or that can help me to gain control of that in whatever form it is? And yeah, absolutely. And, mindf about it. and mindfulness practices weigh into that and the idea of radically accepting the realities that we live in as a project yeah. manager and that whoever you have to engage, it's up to you to find a way to make it work. Yeah. If you put up a wall and say, I'm not going to work with that person, mm -hmm. you're usually going to lose. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, think, I think I love the fact that you're saying that if there is a political environment within the organization and the you know, the broader context of the project's change that, that's being, or that we're wanting to bring about, to embrace that rather than wanting to hide from it or walk away from it. Right. 
if you hide from it, you are delaying your project. Yeah. And you are adding stress onto you. And you're looking like a project manager who cannot deal with what most, most uh, executives would consider the norm. Yes. They live this every day. Right. Some of them enjoy it, right? A project yeah. manager wants to spit it out. Just yeah. let me focus. But again, if that your covering is not there, you got to take care of it yourself. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I think this is a topic that we often don't want to talk about. And I've loved our conversation today because uh, I mean, it's a, it is there. It does happen for us as project managers and in our roles. And you've spoken about the things that we can do to help ourselves and get ourselves prepared for if this sort of thing erupts in their environment and how we might manage it in a better way. So thank you so much for joining me. Now, people can find you on projectmanagement.com because you are a PMP certified, yeah? Yes. And I'm out there uh, answering questions and uh -huh. uh, writing articles and they can also reach me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. All right. Great. Well, once again, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today and please go and track George down and read some of his articles and you never know what you might find. <laughs> and uh, happy project managing for yet another week. And I will talk to you again next week for another episode of Project Management Insights. Thank you for listening to this Project Management Insights podcast. Be sure to visit projectmanagementinsight.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter or to receive updates on upcoming training.